0: Good afternoon. My name is Jeff Wilson. I'm chairman of WHAM Leaders. Thank you for joining this webinar and question and answers. Now, as you know, WHAM Leaders is your company, and we are only here to service you. And and you know, we all think this is a great opportunity um, to ask us any any questions you have. Um, I'd like to, you know, In terms of who am I? Who will be following me today? We've got Matt Helped who is the lead portfolio manager of leaders, Johnny Ayoub, um, who's one of the portfolio managers, uh, and then Anna Milne, who's one of our equity analysts. Uh, and they will be available for um, – you know, I'll ask them a few questions and then they'll, they're available for any questions you have. Uh, in terms of what are we talking about today, it's the WAM leaders' result, uh, a, a, an extremely good result. Uh, And also, we'd like to talk to you about the WAM leaders, one for five. um, Well, I'm a bit of the old breed, so I call it a one for five rights issue. Um, The new wording is a a one for five entitlement offer uh, and offering you to apply for or buy new shares. Now, for every five shares you own, you get offered one new share uh, at last month's NTA, which is $1.44. In terms of just looking at the result, you now it's all been announced. The exchange and we've sent you out an email. It really was an excellent result. You know, in terms of you know, the performance of the portfolio, um, it was up thirty-seven percent. Now that's before you know, fees, taxes, etc. Um, if you put in, you know, if you took off the management fee and performance fee, you're talking about you know thirty-four and a bit um, percent. Uh, then if you look at I suppose what shareholders really uh, value is what happens to the share price over the last 12 months and also dividends. Uh, Now, the share price, or what we call is TSR, total shareholder return, is up 58%. So um, a year ago, you you had Wham leaders trading at a bit of a discount to NTA, uh, and now at June 30, you had WAM leaders trading a bit of a premium to NTA. Um, you'd also be aware that, you know, since the result was announced this morning, and since the entitlement offer was announced, you know, the share price has rallied a little bit. You know, it's it's moved up from around that dollar fifty-six level, you know, to um, last time I looked, it was a, a fraction over a dollar sixty, which is a very, you know, positive endorsement of of, of both um, things, and and there's been very good volume, you know, traded as well. In terms of the it's the the entitlement offer. It's a non-renounceable entitlement offer. Uh, what does that mean? It means that the your your entitlement or your or your rights won't trade on the um, on the on the market. So you have a choice. You can either um, you know, put you know, buy buy more shares. For every five shares you can buy, effectively you know, one additional share in Wham leaders at last month's at June 30s pre-tax NTA, which is $1.44, um, or you don't have to do that. Um, so that's that's the offer. For anyone who um, who actually wants to buy more than their entitlement, than, than their one share for every five shares they own, then they can apply for more at $1.44. Um, and, and where do those additional shares come from? <laughs> They come from anyone who hasn't applied or decides not to um, take up their entitlement. Uh, And as as you'll see, um, we've also um, that's that's called the top up facility. So you 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 could actually own say yeah ten thousand shares. You know, so you get entitlement of an additional two thousand shares of dollar forty four, and you might decide to apply for that and also apply for another. Uh, ten thousand shares. So it's really up to you. Um, so the first opportunity is all WAM shareholders um, have that opportunity to increase their holding. Uh, that's the top-up facility. And if some of them don't, you know, then uh, the then then there's a potential shortfall facility, uh, and that's you know Taylor Collison uh, dealing with that. Uh, and you'll see on the announcement, you can contact. Uh, Hamish Nan at Taylor's, if you want to um, potentially put your hand up to participate in that And I, I did speak to him a little earlier, and he he said a lot he's had a lot of incoming calls of people that are interested in that. but from our perspective is our priority is you as shareholders um, you know, so it's you know, it's you know take up your entitlement if you have the money uh, and you can um, or, or if you want to invest more, then go into the um, you know the top up facility. Uh, Also, with that, um, the dollar forty-four. There's no, there's no brokerage, Um, yeah. So it's a dollar forty-four net. In terms of, um, yeah, I I will just ask some questions of the team, and after I do that, I'll pass over to our corporate affairs advisor, uh, Olivia Harris. So, um, initially, I wouldn't mind starting off with you, Matt. Just, can you take us through, uh, say, last year? Um, and congratulations on the result you know the the portfolio you know, outperformed over nine percent um, at you know last year and that's on the back of the year before you know which we all thought was an exceptional year as well where you outperformed by a little over 10 percent so congratulations uh, on behalf of all shareholders from my, myself as a as a, a sizable shareholder in leaders and, and um, on on all yeah you know, from all the others, uh, and, and in terms of yeah you know, looking at last year, can you just take us through sort of how you how you achieved that excellent performance?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff, <clears throat> and welcome to everyone on the call. Um, I th- thought I'd touch on why if 21 was such a good year for equities first, which will help us frame you know how how did we do it? Um, equities. For equities to go up, you really need three things. You need growth rates to be high, you need interest rates to be low, and risk premium for equities to be uh, low as well. And last year, we had all those things at extreme levels. So equities were a great place to be. Um, and how did we outperform? I, I guess when you look at it, we were really positioned in that first quarter for a for a change in the market narrative. The, the narrative was really around very low interest rates. Um, A lot of growth companies were extreme valuations. And for us, this was something we thought would change. So we positioned the portfolio in that first quarter to really position ahead of the inflection point, which we thought was going to happen Mm -hmm. and eventually happened in around November of 2020. So for us, we positioned very heavily in uh, cyclical companies. Uh, particularly financials as well, as we thought they were very much oversold. So I guess the the way we did it was really trying to capture that inflection point. And we find over the years, you know, positioning early for inflection points is very important. I remember in November of last year, there, there was one single day where I think we got over 150 basis points. So 1.5% of our performance on a single day in November. So it just shows you how important it is to jump ahead of those inflection points um, so I guess the the real um, benefit of being early there is we we caught a lot of that outperformance and that market rotation. And I guess looking forward now, we see there is a change to um, the market narrative again um, as growth will start to decelerate. Um, interest rates should creep up and equity risk premiums should increase. So we think this year there's quite a few inflection points um, to play out. So... Um, we're excited about this year and we think um uh, we're very well positioned um to capture some of the outperformance we think will happen over the remainder of this year too. And, and Matt, just with that, yeah, you know, so this you know, the, the
0: additional two hundred and fifty million dollars which you know we're all uh, including yourself, yeah, you know, we're all
1: giving you, you know, to manage on our behalf. What's what's the plan there? Yeah, Jeff, will be very much along the lines of um sticking with um our process, which which we've um proven over the years around these inflection points. We think there is quite a few inflection points this year. Um we think there is um interest rates will increase. Um it's very much under debate at the moment and interest rates have been uh falling uh for the past month or two, but it really feels like the back end of this year we should start to get some higher interest rates particularly on the long end of the um of the curve so um w- this extra capital will allow us a bit more flexibility too we're seeing a lot of um positioning changes in the market so at our current size we can participate we've, but we've got to be towards the end of clearing out lines so when there's big uh, changes in shareholders across big companies we have to be a bit later um, this extra capital will allow us to jump forward a bit and clear out some of the big um, shareholding crossings, which we think will be a real benefit for the WAM led shareholders. Yeah,
0: and I actually I remember when you know, WAM capital grew, you know, initially you think, oh, you're getting bigger, will it be harder to perform? But what we found is the opposite happening as we got bigger, then we were more important for you know, the, the companies and they came and saw you earlier. Uh, as as you said, yeah, you you get the first look rather than the last
1: look. <laughs> yeah, like, like, we all want to get the first look. Yeah, like some of the the large caps where we'll see a big shareholder like offshore or a big domestic, they'll have $400, 500 million dollars of stock to sell. Um, so in large caps, it can be huge the sizing. So we really got to time it particularly well if we want to perform. So the extra capital will be of a big benefit
0: no no good point uh thanks matt and, and johnny do you just want to um you know looking forward again to you know this year or, or fy 22 can you you know give us a little bit more feeling about the current positioning you know, how, how you and the you know, matt and the team have positioned the portfolio um, thanks jeff
2: i can handle that one and thank you to all your shareholders for trusting us with the uh with the portfolio and hopefully with a little bit extra money but Maybe to talk about uh, where we sit today, I guess from our standpoint, we haven't really changed much over the last three months. We continue to think that the portfolio should be positioned towards quality uh, cash flow generative companies. So we break that out into about four buckets where we're kind of focused toward. The first one is financials. When we remain overweight financial sector, and the stocks that we'd like to call out there are QBE and NAB. We continue to think they are the standouts in the sector and should continue to outperform, um, definitely in the in the short run. But we think over the next one to two, one to three years, um, we remain positive commodities broadly. Uh, the stocks that we will call out there are South 32, BHP, and Oil Search. Now, two of those we think are significant laggards comparative to the spot price, and they they being South32 and Search, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about those in Q&A. you also see in our top 25, we have a skew towards quality. Um, So quality growth companies like Woolworths, Goodman Group, and I'll even throw Telstra in there. After years of turmoil, I think potentially we should start seeing some positive cash flow and positive earnings surprises coming out of Telstra. And then there's a large bucket within the portfolio, which we kind of coined the laggards, which still have a lot of pent-up performance. And, you know, given the, the topsy-turvy nature of COVID and markets, we think stocks like Ramsey Healthcare, Qantas, Treasury Wine, Star and Crown have, have a lot of latent potential to be drivers of the portfolio, for the, particularly for the next 12 months. Um, more. Yeah, moreover, to kind of couple into what Matt was saying, we still see there's going to be a lot of volatility in the market, particularly over the next six months you know, we're not through COVID yet. And what we see is volatility presents opportunity. And, you know, recently we positioned ourselves in challenger following uh, a weak short-term result, and the market was quite aggressive in the way it sold it off. So, we, we view that there's a lot of those kind of opportunities and a lot of that money that we we're trying to raise here will go towards that, particularly in the August reporting season where people will be fixated very much on the short-term results and forgetting the long-term structural advantages and the repositioning a lot of these companies have done and the heavy lifting they've done particularly over the last six months. We think there's going to be a lot of opportunities shaken out, shaken out over the next six you know, six to 12 weeks. Uh, we're quite positive around that. And that tug of war between, you know, the perceived value and growth sector will continue. And I think those opportunities will, will remain and be ever-present um, for us to capitalise on.
0: Thanks, Johnny. And in terms of the, the top 25 holdings, is there anything you want to add? I know you mentioned a number of them there. Is there anything additional you want to touch on there?
2: No, look I think I think we kind of coined you know we, we we've focused that, that the portfolio is very much uh skewed towards the top 50 if you kind of look at that, that look at that bent there but we have beyond the top 25 I'll probably call out a number of smaller positions which are which are a little bit more um you yeah, know a little bit more towards the growth bent where we think that there's some opportunities, um, again, longer term. So, the portfolio is is, is what it is, it's, it's certainly concentrated into those top 25 names, and there's a, a tail which provides a little bit more flexibility to the overall um structure of the portfolio.
0: Now, look, thanks very much, John. Now, um, know let, let me pass over to Olivia Harris, um, from the corporate affairs uh area, who'll take everyone's uh, who, 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 who will work with the Q&As. Thanks.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Um, we might just start off with some of the questions around the mechanics of the rights issue. Um, so, Jeff, could you just confirm um, the entitlement offer is one-fifth of the existing Wham leader's shares, correct?
0: Yeah, so, so, effectively, how to think of it, if for every five shares you own, you get offered one more share. So, if I own – Five thousand shares. Uh, then I get offered a thousand. The opportunity to pay a dollar forty-four for another thousand shares. So you know that's that's the best way to think of it.
3: Thanks, Jeff. And um, Ian has written in a couple of questions. The top-up facility is that only for shares that are not taken up under the entitlement offer, and then. Subsequently, the shortfall facility is that only for shares not taken up in the other two parts of the offer.
0: So, why don't we just do one question? Just to ask sure. me the first question, so we don't confuse sure. people, because it, it it is it can be confusing a, a top up and a uh, etc. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, why don't we talk about the top up facility first? Is that only for shares not taken up under the entitlement offer?
0: The the, the answer is yes. So effectively for every share that's on issue you know, where there's everyone's offered one more share. So that means, you know, effectively 20, the company is incre- increasing in size by 20%. Uh, now anyone who doesn't, if everyone takes their entitlement up, then there'll be no, um, there'll be no top up facility and there'll be no shortfall facility or there'll be no shares available in them. um, yeah, so that's broadly how it works. And we're not issuing any more than one for five. So it's really those shares, you know, that are potentially available if, if someone doesn't take them up first. Yeah.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Can you talk a little bit more about how the shortfall facility works? So yeah. that's for shares that aren't taken up in the entitlement and the top-up.
0: Yeah, so effectively you have your entitlement, which is your one for five, and if people don't take up their entitlement, then other WAM shareholders have the opportunity to to take up those shares. Now, it'll all be clear when you get the paperwork. Um, So you can, you know, if you, you know, the example I used, if you have 5,000 shares, you 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 get offered another 1,000 shares, you might want to take them up $1.44. And then you might have some more money. You know, in theory, you could, you could apply for you know, another thousand shares, you could apply for ten thousand shares, you could apply for a, a million you know, dollars worth of shares. You know, so the, the first priority to apply for more shares at the dollar forty-four is given to Wham capital shareholders. And and that could be one of the reasons. Well, A, it was a cracking result. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of turnover in the stock today. Now, some people might be selling some shares because they haven't got the money and they want to be in a position to buy some more at $1.44. Um, you know, there could be people buying shares today because they want to become a shareholder. So, A, they can apply for their one for five entitlement, but they might might also want to apply for more than that. Um, but, you know, so, the first thing is, the first opportunity is to, you know, the, the WAM leaders, shareholders, And then after that, if there's any shares left over, then it's the then it gets offered out in the shortfall facility, and that's the one that uh, Hamish Nan at Taylor Collison's is running. And I said, yeah, there's already been a lot of interest.
3: Thanks, Jeff. With a bit
0: of actually, just with a bit of luck, yeah, there there are no shares for that. Now where the you know WAM leaders shareholders like. I get off. I'm I'm a one for five. I'll be taking out my full entitlement. Um, will I be applying for more? It's it's quite a, a large dollar amount I have, to, <laughs> I have to put in. So the plan is not at this point in time. But yeah, it's an option I have. But you know, we hope that the people that don't take it up, other wham leaders, shareholders apply for those.
3: Thanks, Jeff. And we did have a question from Ian. Just to clarify, um, when does he need to be a, a leader's shareholder to participate? Um, so it is only open to WAM Leaders shareholders, and the record yes. date the nineteenth of July. So you can purchase shares on the market up until that time. Yes, um, so
0: be- in theory, it's it's the next. Three, it's today, tomorrow, and the next day. The three days. If you own shares, yeah, then you'll get um, the the one for five entitlement. After that, uh, then you won't.
3: Thanks, Jeff. And another question: Can you talk a little bit about the dilution of the reserve? So, is that um, will it be diluted by the amount of the distribution from the new shares that will be offered?
0: Yes. Well, and also you'll see in the uh, paperwork there that that anyone who applies for a new share, the the dividend, <laughs> the increased <laughs> dividend, that three and a half cents final dividend that's fully franked, that will get paid on your the new shares um, so yeah you know, our yeah so effectively um, whether you get diluted or not uh, if you if you don't if you take up your shares then you of course you you won't um, if you don't take up your one for five uh, then the profit reserve you know will will get you know diluted by um, yeah, you know, by the new shares that are issued.
3: Thanks, Jeff. And we've had a question from Bruce. Why is the offer non-renounceable? So why can't they trade on the ASX? Yeah. Uh,
0: Bruce, the, the that was an, an option. Um, if if we had a renounceable issue, then it would have to go for a lot longer. Uh, just just a little bit of background. This is actually the first rights issue that any of the you know, Wilson Asset Management uh, lic has ever done. Uh, our option was to do it as a you know, re- renounceable entitlement offer or a non-renounceable. Uh, in terms of if it was renounceable, you know, the rights or in the entitlements would trade on the market, uh, and, and the length of time. Um, it's got to it's got to go for a lot longer because you've got to have a, a good period where the rights entitlement trade um, as the money's being raised at pre tax NTA, then effectively, you know, there's you know, the impact on the NTA. There's no dilution on the NTA, um, so the board believe a a tighter time frame. Uh, not having the rights trading because i've actually seen historically when the rights trade sometimes it can be you know four sellers of the rights which put pressure on the share price um and so yeah so the board decided to do it in a shorter time frame do it non-renounceable and because it's being done at pre-tax nta yeah you know, then obviously you know, there's no negative impact um, or you know, positive impact on nta
3: thanks jeff and matt we might turn to you now for a little bit of questions that have come through on the market um, so the first one is from andrew and that is central banks are now talking about changing their policies so what changes are you making in the portfolio to address that
1: yeah thanks andrew a uh, good question obviously a big uh, debate at the moment around how quick the uh, central banks taper um, What we did was we did event studies over the past three tapering cycles. So we went through um, stock performance um, post-tapering events. Unfortunately, that wasn't clear with a a clear direction of winners for stocks. But the way we're positioning for it, again, um, Johnny touched on it as well, is very much through uh, some of the financials, I think they will benefit in the short term from the tapering. Um, At the moment, it's a real debate. Um, and the mark interpretation of tapering is um, it's either going to help growth um, through some of this liquidity um, being being drained, or it's going to be a hindrance. Um, it is a form of tightening, but we think with the excess liquidity around, it won't have a huge impact on some of the financial stocks. So at the moment, it's just really much of a case of holding the portfolio as is um, and looking at signs of interpretation by um, especially interest rate markets of of tapering and how it affects, but very much um, holding the course with our portfolio and um, positioned um, very well for it.
3: Thanks, thanks, Matt and John. The next question is for you from Tim. Um, out of the big miners, are there any that have um, an upside potential?
2: Uh, Thanks, Tim and Olivia. Uh, Our strong preference for out out of the big miners, that is classified as BHP and Rio, is BHP today. Um, Main reason is around the diversity of the BHP portfolio. We think the cash generation and the upcoming result will demonstrate um, that positive cash generation. Secondly, uh, the operating performance of BHP relative to its peers should be superior. So from that standpoint, we really like BHP. Um, Just a little comment further on those if you kind of take the next level down between uh fortescue south 32 uh, and a myriad of other names the market has significantly discounted the spot commodity price relative to the share prices and if you kind of look at south 32 and you run spot commodity prices through your p through your um, valuation there we see 40 to 50% upside conservatively for South32. So from that standpoint, um, we think there's plenty of upside, even if there is some sort of retracement in commodity prices. We still see there's plenty of upside in the share prices, particularly BHP and South32. So they're probably the two I'd call out.
3: Thanks, John. And Anna, there's one for you from George. Um, how confident are you that QBE has sufficiently provisioned for potential claims regarding COVID-19? Um, the business interruption insurance? And do you have any concerns for the share price there?
4: Thanks, George. It's a great question and um, one that is front of mind at the moment. Of all the general insurers, QBE is actually the one that we're most comfortable with at the moment for a couple of reasons. Firstly, they have very comprehensive reinsurance programs, which will pay for a significant proportion of their business Uh, interruption claims. And secondly, they did update the market a week ago, noting that they're satisfied that their reserving remains robust. Thinking about it from a broader Australia perspective, uh, test cases are going through the court later this year. We probably won't have an outcome until the end of this year at the earliest, and then the first time we might hear from the insurers in terms of how they're feeling about the reserving is going to be at the February results. So when we're thinking about how comfortable we are holding the insurers, uh, it becomes a case of whether it's in the price. We're of the belief that uh, it's well and truly priced into the share prices. It's a very much known overhang. And then getting comfort around uh, the differences between IG, Sun and QBE. I think the best way that we've kind of thinking about it is by looking at the UK experience. So the test cases have already gone through the courts in the UK, most of them ruled in favour of the insured, so against the insurers. They're quite conservative and insurers are now in the process of paying out claims in the UK. Uh, if you think about the UK, the economy is much larger. Uh, lockdowns are much stricter and longer. And overall, the total industry estimated claim pool is around two and a half billion Australian equivalent dollars. Uh, when we think about Sun, I.G. and QV provisions, they've provisioned for basically the same amount uh, for Australia, which is a lot smaller, shorter lockdowns, uh, less severe. So we're pretty comfortable with where we sit at the moment. We don't think there's going to be any re- resolution anytime soon, uh, but that is the state of play at the moment.
3: Thanks, Anna. And the next question is for John, and that's from Bella. Um, John, what is your outlook on commodities?
2: Uh, thanks, Bella. It's a very topical uh, discussion that we have internally uh, nearly every day. Uh, the beauty of a beauty of what we get to do is we get to we get to realise that the world changes readily. So I think at our WAM Vault presentation we were a little bit concerned around bolts and the sustainability of um, oil and all um, pricing and and we were kind of skewed more towards some of those forgotten commodities and oil. And today we still remain very positive around oil um, and we think that there's been a significant disconnection between the oil uh, producers so also sorts Santos in the domestic mass market versus the uh, spot price. So we think there's a lot of latent potential in those names. But if we consider some of the other commodities, um, we're starting to see a change in policy out of China. Now, it's early days, but what we've noticed is that they they were tightening growth. You know, if I, if I try to break it down to its simplest form, they'll try and tighten... Growth um, three or four months ago. And we're starting to see some rhetoric coming out of China, which they're starting to loosen it again. They're starting, they're starting to try to turn those wheels more aggressively. For, so, with that backdrop, we've constructed the portfolio a little bit more towards some of those bulks. And as I said earlier, BHP is probably where we think there's some still upside. Um, we still think there's um Upside in some of those dirty name the dirty sectors like coal and the oil and um, green energy is certainly the flavor of the month. we do have a number of positions exposed to that, but we're starting to become cautious around the valuations of the equities relative to the underlying commodity there. So um, it's an evolving, it's an evolving beast. Um, it's something that we're very much front of mind at the moment, but we remain positive broadly. Um, we probably start to turn a little bit more positive towards copper. <laughs> the share prices rapidly. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's, it's, it's ever-changing.
3: Thanks very much, John. And, Jeff. we've got a few questions coming through regarding the entitlement and the dividend. Um, are the shares issued under the entitlement offer eligible for the dividend that was announced today?
0: Yes, yes, they are, the 3.5 cents. Oh, and all, earlier I think I might have referred to... Um, Another wham company. So, all my discussion today is on wham leaders. So, eradicate any other comments I made. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yes. So, the answer is yes. If you apply for you know, one new share for every five you own, then you pay $1.44 and you get a three and a half cent fully frank dividend uh, when it's paid in October.
3: Thanks very much, Jeff and Matt. The next question is for you from Chris. Um, so, what are your views on inflation at the moment, and how do you position for that within the WAM Leaders investment portfolio?
1: Yes, yeah, terrific question, Chris. Inflation is obviously a, a massive talking point. Um, the way when we look at inflation, you really got to look at the underlying economic fundamentals. Um, there's a lot of anecdotes going around of you know you know inflation here and there, but um, the way we look at it is it, it's really a supply-led um, inflation um, move at the moment. So supply curve has moved back as there's supply interruption. So it, it's, a, it's a typical um, cost-push um, inflation environment at the moment. So supply curves have moved back. Demand has moved as well. But for inflation to take hold now, you really have to look at the the fundamentals and, and that will be, will economic demand move over potential GDP? And what I mean by that is potential GDP is a theoretical level of the economy uh, which it should be operating at. Um, and at the moment, we're operating underneath that. So in the demand pool inflation shouldn't kick in yet. So it's a really a, a race between supply coming back on and demand going over that potential GDP. The modelling we've done suggests it should, we should see demand over that potential GDP around the third quarter of this year, uh, the calendar year. So, if supply is not eased by then, which we think it won't, we think we'll be in a, a in a state where inflation could be persistent. So that is a real big um, catalyst for the market, but it's really line ball at the moment about whether the supply will come back online and whether demand will push out. Um, and start to go over potential GDP. So what we're looking for is really job creation in um, all economies. And in, in the US, we're really watching US job creation, which we think will start happening over the next few months. So, And what does that mean for portfolio positioning? Higher inflation generally leads to a policy response. Um, the, if we look at the central, um, the, the Fed in the US, they said they were going to look through inflation because it's transitory. But we think if job creation is high, then their policy uh, will change. So what will that mean? It will be mean an uplift in the interest rate curves, uh, a steepening potentially if the market takes it that way. Interestingly, the last few takes of the market have been um, when the higher inflation has come through, the short end has moved up and the long end has moved down because the market is betting on a policy mistake. So in that instance... Um, the market is looking at it negatively but we think it's going to be a positive event inflation will come through and it will lead to our performance of financials so um, for us yeah it, it really gets back to an outperformance of financials
3: thanks very much Matt that was great um, Jeff we have had some questions come through on dividends as, um, regarding the outlook for WAM leaders. Can you make any comment about the future of dividends in, in the WAM leaders fund?
4: Uh, in
0: terms of, you, you'll see in the chart that we showed today in the announcement, uh, and, and even, you know, the chart pack that's, um, yeah you know, with this presentation that, um, from a board's perspective, what we're attempting to give shareholders is a growing stream of fully frank dividends, uh, and not only with that with capital growth as well, and that that's only possible you know, by the you know the extreme uh, extremely good performance of uh, with Matt, uh, Johnny, Anne, and the team. Um, now, in terms of the dividends going forward, the you know, if you dilute you know, the um, profit reserves. Yeah, we have to have profits and we have to have franking. But if you dilute the profit reserve you know, by the one for five issue, you get to a figure which is just a little bit below you know, 30 cents a share. Uh, so therefore, you know, the, the really from the board's perspective is, you know, the ability to pay seven cents a year is um, is yeah, you know, you know, the board's got enormous confidence in being able to continue to pay that. Now, in terms of going forward, historically we've tried to increase the dividends over time. Um, like last year we increased the dividend and the board's you know, view will be, um, you know, they would like to increase the dividend again this year. So, uh, you know, to me I think, you know, th- there's seven cents that's paid this year. Um, you know, what will the dividend increase to? That you know, they're really board decisions, um, but the plan would be to increase the dividend.
3: Thanks very much, Jeff. And the next question is for Matt from Stephen and it's on the banks. Um, so, what is your view on growth and income return for the banks looking ahead for the next six months?
1: Yeah, oh, definitely on the banks. You'd expect the majority of the returns to be through income, so they're all over provisioned, they'll be paying back capital. Um, progress will be over the rest of this year and next. So very much the most of the growth will be coming through um, income on the banks. So uh, expect a little bit of um, capital appreciation, but, yeah, it's very much going to be an income-driven story from the banks from here.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And, Anna, the next question is for you. It's from Nava. Um, can you make any comment on Telstra and uh, I guess the telecommunications sector?
4: Sure, thanks Nava. I guess Johnny touched on it briefly. We think the telco sector overall is entering a really exciting stage following years of headwinds. The outlook is now for strong revenue and earnings growth over the next two or three years at least. Uh, Telstra is in our top 10 holdings and there are a number of reasons why we are high conviction on the name. So firstly, and I think most importantly, the mobile market is in repair. So Telstra increased pricing last year and Optus and Vodafone have since followed this year. This is a really positive indicator that the market is acting rationally and everyone is lifting their prices to try and improve industry returns. We expect to see this through ARPU growth, that's average revenue per unit growth, uh, over the coming years, despite the fact that we don't have those roaming revenues, which are very high margin uh, as international borders are closed. So that's really positive. Uh, Secondly, Telstra recently sold their mobile towers business. It was sold earlier and at a higher valuation than the market expected, and we think this implies further upside for Telstra's other infrastructure assets. Thirdly, as I mentioned, it's a reopening trade as borders reopen, and we think Telstra will definitely put in that bucket of winners, uh, as it is very high-margin business as people travel overseas. Uh, Fourth, it's got a very solid dividend yield, uh, and we think dividends will make up a large proportion of returns this year than they have in previous. And then lastly, and it's something that we look at for all of our holdings, is upcoming catalysts. So for Telstra, it's the result in August, and then come later in the year, they have their AGM, where we're expecting a refresh strategy on their t 22
3: Thanks very much, Anna, and the next question is from Colin and that is, why are you holding Qantas? John, do you maybe want to take that one?
2: Um, I certainly will, and thank you, Colin, for that question. I guess, um, yeah, Qantas hit a little bit of turbulence this week, forgive the pun, um, Yeah, to in light of a very difficult situation out there, but first and foremost, I guess, if we consider a lot of the, the 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 heartache that Qantas employees are going through, you know, times like this are very difficult as we get locked down, pilots, cabin crews, ground staff. It's a challenging period. And I guess what, you know, and the difficult decisions that Qantas had to make uh, at the start of the COVID period last year was let go of a lot of staff and on the premise that as we return to normal, um yeah, they can actually rehire a lot of these people, but in, in in that instance, what they've been able to do is actually permanently reduce their cost base. So that's probably the main driver is why we own it. Now, if we kind of look at the current situation and you know, hopefully um what we think is this is the last lockdown. Um you know, you've got the, last the full plan to kind of get us out of this, you know, potentially this you know, this last you know, this last um Lockdown that we're facing currently here in Sydney, uh, it could be the catalyst to spur on a lot more uh, a higher vaccine take-up, subject to the supply coming on as well, obviously. Um, but what we think is that you know we have an end, and that's what we've been lacking. The market's been lacking a, a period to say this is a definitive end to when um, lockdowns will stop hurting these companies. And from that from that perspective, we think you know you we can actually comfortably. Um, Try to forecast what cash flows and earnings are going to look like for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we, you know, I've just been looking through the package that the state and federal government are trying to uh, provide to, to to New South Wales um, lockdown implied uh, staff, and it's probably not enough. As my first instance, but I think if we ch- kind of put away the short term and start looking at long term and the restructuring that Qantas has been able to do from a long term perspective, and we do know. Um, when, re- when travel does return, it returns uh, really quickly. So, US is a great example. where It's already back to 80% of pre-COVID levels. Um, so, we remain confident on the longer term, and obviously there's just going to be some short-term headwinds uh, with these lockdowns.
3: Thanks very much, John. And, Matt, that kind of leads into the next question, which is from Louisa, and that is, do you think that the current lockdowns in Sydney and the Delta variant will have an impact on the equity markets going forward? And is that something that you need to take into account in the portfolio?
1: Yeah, touching uh, on some of John's points as well, it definitely will have an impact on the economic growth. So uh, it's already happening now. Um, but again, like, like John said, you really got to look through some of this um, because it all it is temporary. Uh, we will get through this. Uh, the pain in the short term in New South Wales will be you know, quite high for some people. Um, But we will get through this. So um, it will have an impact, but definitely not – it won't change the way we manage the portfolio because we think we will come through this and very much uh, continue on the same way we're going.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And, John, we'll, we'll go back to you just quickly. We have a question from Lynn, and that is if you can make any comments about the Sydney Airport takeover um, and – on M&A going forward in general?
2: Uh, thanks, Lynn. It's a very, very topical uh, discussion uh, this we because we've, uh, we've started to see a, a, a lot of M&A starting to percolate through the Australian market and uh, a lot of it being driven by opportunistic uh, global uh, private equity firms. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit more M&A occur, so acquisitions. Um, so what I think is driving this is that, you know, to cup, to kind of consider what Matt said earlier about rates likely to go up, uh, access to cheap debt is still available to these firms right here, right now. So they are going to be opportunistic and try to make hay while the sun's still shining or in this instance, while well, it's not shining. So these guys will, will, will have a bid for Sydney airports before we start seeing an earnings recovery for them, which is probably 12 months away. Um, so I would expect that M&A um, will continue uh, in a significant way for the next six months. Um from a portfolio perspective, we have to consider that, and we uh, we, we constantly screen uh, stocks which uh, we, we, which have been laggards, which have potential for some sort of um, breakup or uh, valuation uplift from um, from you know strategic investment. So you know we think it's going to continue. Um, what we'd like to see is less conditional bids and more unconditional bids. So uh, the acquirer is putting their money where their mouth is as opposed to trying to get a free look. And, you know, we've seen that recently with Sydney airports. They should have actually put some money where their mouth is and equally with uh, Blackstone Crown. And uh, we've seen it with Seven Group and Boral, and they've actually gone a bit of old school uh, M&A, which we like to see. So, yes, it's going to keep happening. Uh, We'd like to see more of it. Um, but from a portfolio perspective, we have to be very conscious of it and, and protect the portfolio and try to screen out some opportunities that may be there.
3: Thanks very much, John. Um, and just to let everybody know, it doesn't look like we have anyone on the phone lines that wants to ask a question, so we'll just stick with the webinar questions um, for the remaining of the time. Anna, the next question is for you from Jacob, and that is during the last – uh, results call that we had, you mentioned that you were positive on the healthcare sector, namely CSL. So, can you make any comment on what your thoughts are now about healthcare and if there are any companies there that you're positive on?
4: Thanks, Jacob. So, uh, the main issue that CSL faced during COVID, and it was very widely publicized, was that they were struggling to attract donors to plasma collection centers in the US. Uh, we tracked uh, foot traffic data in the, into the centers. Uh, very closely and in around April we saw that the foot traffic had turned and was improving and so we went tactically overweight CSL uh, and we thought that would be a momentum trade and that paid off and uh, we rode that for a couple of months, Uh, valuations started to get a little bit toppy uh, and with a few concerns around August uh, guidance at the result, we have since neutralised our position Uh, so we are market weight CSL at the moment. Uh, more recent news has been around Mexico, so legislation has passed that uh, Mexicans can't cross into the US uh, to donate plasma, so this accounts for around 5% of CSL's donor pool. Uh, we do expect it will be resolved, but there's just no time frame on this, so at the moment we're in a bit of a holding pattern until the August results, so we are market weight on CSL. When I think about the sector more broadly, we are slightly overweight. Our top pick at the moment is Ramsey, as Johnny mentioned. Uh, so that's really leveraged to the reopening of the UK and Europe as they conduct elect- surger- elective surgeries in private hospitals uh, in UK and Europe, uh, and we estimate the backlog will be significant. And so there'll be elevated volumes for at least 12 months. And with this elevated volumes comes operating leverage and higher earnings, particularly when you compare it back to FY '20, where uh, you know electives were closed and earnings were significantly impacted. Another news uh, news flow for Ramsey was that they launched a takeover bid for the UK-based Spire Healthcare in late May. So Spire is based uh, in London. Uh, their shareholders vote in favour or against uh, next week. Uh, so that is the next catalyst for Ramsey. We personally really like the deal. We think it increases growth opportunities in the UK. Uh, EPS accretion is material, and we believe management has lowballed their synergies. Uh, However, should the transaction fall through, we don't think there is too much downside risk as the share price is currently pricing in a capital raise uh, for for it to go ahead. So that's kind of the next catalyst. We do really like Ramsey overall, and we are overweight the sector, but we are more market weight CSL now.
3: Thanks very much, Anna. And Matt, the next question is for you from Linda, and that is, What will end this extraordinary period of growth for markets? Um, What do you think will be the next trigger?
1: That's a great question, Linda. I I wish I knew the answer. Um, But when we go back to right at the very top, we talked about rates, interest rates, equity risk premium, and growth rates. So it could be any of those. So what we're going to see this year is tapering. So, first of all, the market has got to get through tapering, which is debatable whether we'll get through a full tapering cycle. Then we have to get through interest rate hikes. So, again, two very big events coming up for the equity markets to digest. Um, equity markets are expensive based on the fundamentals we've got in the in, for the backdrop. So, what will derail this market is um, any of those events. I, I think we could get through tapering. Then the interest rate cycle again. What is a what is a neutral rate? Can we get there? Um, again, up for debate. So, it feels like we've got a couple of years left um, potentially in this equity market, unless there's some big you know inflation surprise which you know enacts uh, a quicker uh, policy response. So. The market has got hikes in the uh, market price of uh, interest uh, bonds already. Uh, The neutral rate is sitting around 2.5%. So um, anything that changes any of those in a significant manner will upset uh, the equity market. But again, um, it quite often goes longer than you think. So um, I can't give you a definitive answer there, unfortunately, Linda, but um, we're watching all those um, factors.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And the next question kind of flows from that. This one's from Alex, um, and that's what macro conditions are you readying the portfolio for in FY 2022? So maybe how, how, what do you do with the portfolio? How do you position it for that tapering or the next inflection point?
1: Yeah, I guess FY 22 is all about contraction um, versus FY21 was very much loose monetary policy. So we are going to face headwinds there. It's just whether this economic cycle is powerful enough to to push through those. Um, And again, that will come down to job creation. So uh, the way we'll position for FY22 at this point in time is having tighter uh, policy conditions, uh, improving labour markets, and rising interest rates. I mean, that's really our backdrop. And and we touched on China, uh, John touched on China through um, resources. I mean, China really led the economic growth recovery. They were quite early post-COVID. Um, what we've seen in the last month is a, a big shift in policy in China, so that is very important as well, what China does. Um, the recent total social financing print in China was a massive beat if this happens for a few more months, they could drive global growth again. So that was a was a potential um, headwind, which now could flip to a tailwind. So um, our base case now is probably a, a strong, stronger China than we thought, a tighter U.S. labor market happening, and higher interest rates. And that's really all the factors we're we're positioning our portfolio for at the moment.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And Matt, we'll stick with you. The next question is from Rob. Um, what is your view on the prospective capital management initiatives initiatives from the major banks after this current earnings reporting cycle?
1: Yeah, I mean, Rob, the the capital management is very much on the forefront. Like speaking with all the the management of banks, it's very much on the agenda. Whether when it happens is a question, and how large. Obviously, Commonwealth Bank have got massive excess capital at the moment. Uh, We're predicting it may happen in August with a large off-market buyback. They've got excess franking, and they want to return that to shareholders. So we think CBA will kick off the capital management programs. Then National Australia Bank, I think, will be next off the bat, um, and they'll do more of a progressive on-market buyback. They won't go hard in one year. They'll just do progressive Um, on market buybacks for the next few years. So all the banks are in great capital positions. Um, Capital management is very much on the agenda and they are very focused on returning that. Um, The recent outbreak of the the Delta virus in um, New South Wales may cause some uncertainty if it it goes on for a bit longer, which may halt some of the release of capital for CBA. Um, But I think it will be very much a story over a couple of years, capital management for the Australian banking sector, as they have huge amounts of excess capital, so um, very much on the agenda.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And we've actually had a couple questions come through on A2 Milk. I'm not sure who's best to take this, Matt or John, Um, but for example, George has asked, has A2 Milk been oversold on China sales concerns?
2: I can handle that one, and George, that's a very, um, very good question. it was oversold firstly on some structural issues within its own by its own doing. So, if you kind of take a step back and look at what happened to the company's journey from $24 down to $6, if I just use some loose numbers like that, um, they moved away from their core. So, they started to get a bunch of consultants in. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to blame past management, but they kind of lost focus on what the business really was. Um, And if you kind of fast forward to COVID, it kind of highlighted a lot of the shortcomings in its distribution network and its its approach to distributing products through China. And it was very reliant on the Daigo channel uh, in Australia, which was basically buying product in Australia and shipping it up to China and making a margin on it. And people didn't really appreciate the, 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 the quantum that that provided to, from an earnings perspective. So um, what we've seen is that it got hammered, uh, rightly so, on the back of that, but we've actually bought some stock and, you know, we, we're now, it's, a, it's, it's one of the positions which sits beyond our top 25. Uh, on that very view, what you just shared, George, is that we think it's oversold. Now, does that mean that it's the end of the pain? We suspect not. I think that there's probably a little bit more pain to come in the short term. Uh, the upcoming result may highlight that. So, from you know, we're kind of leaving a little bit of powder dry um, if there is another sell off in it. But we think that the business uh, proposition hasn't substantially changed. We think that over time, it's the Digo channel and other route to market should open up and it would probably highlight that the brand has actually some a significant – it resonates significantly up in China, and a lot of the surveys that we've been seeing uh, recently has shown that. So uh, is it through all the pain? Probably not, but at $6 thereabouts are we a buyer? The answer is yes.
3: Thanks very much, John. And uh, the next question is on how you rate infrastructure. So this is from Philip. John, maybe you want to take this one as well. So can you make any comment on Sydney Airport and Transurban?
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Sydney's obviously a different proposition now that it's popped 30% on the back of a takeover bid. But um, both these two infrastructure stocks, stocks perversely didn't provide as much of a robust earning stream as perceived previously, because these things are supposed to not have much disruption to their earnings. And COVID highlighted that oh. you know, nothing's really immune um, to disruption. Um Sorry, just an alert popped up on my screen there. There we go. Um, so, if we... TCL and Sydney's traffic volume still haven't recovered to pre-COVID levels. And if we kind of look at TCL, where they sit today, um, we're starting to see that it's probably a little bit more resilient than a Sydney Airports. And so, right here, right now, it's obviously the pick given the, the disparity between the valuation between the two. But I'd probably um, leave a message to the shareholders that if Sydney Airports is... Acquired by the consortium, then there's a lot of money which is going to be sitting idle looking for new infrastructure uh, homes. And I guess the the call out there would be probably TCL would be the biggest beneficiary of that. Um, ALX, Atlas Altera is probably the next one. But I'd probably suggest that there's probably other stocks that we should start considering a little bit more infrastructure like. And I'd say, you know, Woolworths and Coles, where, you know, they've shown how robust and how, um, how stable their earnings are and how, how much of an essential they are. So I think we need to start looking beyond the tr- traditional infrastructure space uh, and start trying to identif- identify where the next defense is or the next safe havens are going to be in the market.
3: Thanks very much, John. And we do have a question that I want to address from Peter, and that's back to the entitlement offer. Um, so Peter's asked if you can apply for a portion of your full entitlement or do you have to apply for all of the entitlement? Um, and Peter, the answer to that is that you can apply for a portion. Um, however, if you apply for your full entitlement, you can also go for the top-up facility. Um, all that information will be sent to you by the Share Register Boardroom. Um, so with that, we're, we're just down to the last minutes here. Matt, do you want to say any any closing words?
1: No, I'd just like to thank, um, obviously, the, the team as well, the WAM Leaders team and everyone at, at WAM, but in particular uh, the shareholders of WAM Leaders. Um, we've come up to our fifth year anniversary. It's been a, been a good journey. The last few years has been great on, on performance. And I'd just like to thank everyone um, on the call today for listening and being a supporter of WAM Leaders. And uh, we look forward to chatting to you in the future.
3: Thanks very much, Matt. And, Jeff. if you have any final words.
0: Oh, thanks, uh, Olivia. Of course, yeah, thank you all shareholders because, you know, as Matt said, you know, it's great to celebrate, you know, five years of WAM leaders and it's, you know, the performance has been stellar over that period of time. Um, and as a large WAM leader shareholder, I want to thank everyone involved. The In terms of, um, you know, today, you know, Matt, you know, Johnny, Anna, and, Olivia, yeah, thank you very much for, um, yeah, for, the, for the Q&A and the, and, the, the, um, and the presentation. In terms of you know, the, today's webinar will be recorded, so it will be up on the website uh, soon. Um, as I mentioned at you know, the start and just early on and summing up, this is your company. So if you have any questions, you know, please email us reply to the email we sent out today or any other emails. If you're not on our email list, yeah, please um, yeah, register. Go on our website and register uh, and or, or call um, because, you yeah, know, if you have any questions about the company, we want you to, Yeah, we want to answer them and also any feedback you have um, we're very interested in. So, you yeah, know, thank you for your support and look forward to seeing you all soon.